Good morning, everybody. <clears throat> Greetings to you in the name of Jesus this morning. It's good to be together to worship the Lord and to hear from him. It's been a joy to share with you this week. Thank you for your love, your encouragement, your prayers, and uh, it's been a real blessing to be here, and we will have one more day together. Our brother prayed in his prayer, thanking God for a day of rest, and those of you who are ordained can relate to the concept of Sunday being a day of work, so I have a day of work here today, but uh, I'm sure there will be some restful moments in the middle of the busyness, but uh, it's good to be able to share with you from the Word of God this morning. The message this morning, uh, I'm almost tempted to, you know, the preacher should never apologize for his sermon, all right? Just should never do that. Um, Actually, I'm really excited about the message this morning because it is It is such an important, absolutely, positively, unquestionably important subject. And we had revival meetings at our church in October, and we had a gentleman there named Frank Reed, and he said, the problem in the world is men. I want you to think about that just for a moment. You think about the problems our world is in. Is that true? The problem in this world is men. But the solution is godly men. Godly men are the solution to the problems in this world. Now, the reason why we have so many social ills and we have young people, children, abandoned, abused, And what you just, I mean, the list goes on and on, the problems in this world. And many of them relate very distinctly and clearly to the absence of godly men in the homes of this land. In fact, in many cases, there's no father or dad even present in many of our homes in this land. Maybe things are different in southern Virginia. Maybe families are still together here. But where I come from, it's not that way. Most of the children in the city of Reading are are growing up without a biological father in their home. Most of them. And it just breeds endless distress and problems in the lives of children and young people. And so the message this morning is called The Family Pastor. And we're going to talk to the family pastor this morning. And sisters, um, you're probably, you know, you might be tempted to, don't do this, okay? That means nudging, okay? That might even be, uh, I don't know what that, the, the word is, is escaping me, but it's, it's not all that respectful to nudge your husband in church, all right? So don't do that. But, uh, you know... There is room for improvement, all right? And to begin with this morning, I I want every one of us in this room to understand that you 
are an influential person. Okay? Whether you are a father, a husband, a leader in a home, or whether you are a mother, maybe you're a big brother or a big sister, maybe you're even a little brother or a little sister. Maybe you're even the youngest one in your family and you think, well, I'm not an influential person. I want to tell you this morning that we have our youngest son with us, okay? And he influences me. All right? Is that okay? Uh, If you're a parent here and your children never influence you in any way, I would wonder why not. Um, I had a situation a few weeks ago probably a couple months ago now, my 14-year-old daughter, I came home from church and I said something about somebody and what they said, or I'm not sure exactly what it was anymore, but she said, Dad, is it right for you to be talking that way? 14-year-old daughter. And you know what? I thought about that, and I had to acknowledge that it wasn't right for me to say that, whatever I said. And you know what I was able to do? I was actually able to go to my 14-year-old daughter and say, you know what? You're right. Thank you. That helps me. And every one of you, it doesn't matter who you are, you might think that you're here this morning and you do not have any influence on anybody else. That is absolutely not true because every person has influence. And so I have a 17-year-old son. Guess who he is very powerfully influencing? My 11-year-old son. And if you're here today as a big brother or a big sister, I want to tell you that you need to be really, really careful about what you do, about what you say, about what you listen to, about what you read. And maybe you don't watch anything, but you've got to be careful about what you watch because you are influencing somebody who's coming behind you. And I'm telling you this morning, the most influential and impacting individual in any family is the man of the house. And I'll tell you what, it's not not easy in 2019 to manage a household. And I want you sisters to understand that the job that a man has in directing his household is difficult. Okay? Maybe it's not as difficult as the man that sits in the White House, okay? He's got a big job to do. I can't even imagine trying to lead a nation, any nation, much less this nation. I I, I don't know. I don't know why anybody would ever want to be a president. I just can't understand that. That's crazy. But, hey, there's always always somebody willing to take the job. I guess it's a very... uh, fame-oriented position, so your name goes down in history for sure. But, uh, you know, the, the man of the house, he sort of needs to be a president of the house. He needs to be the CEO of the house. He needs to be the face of the house, the representative of the household. He needs to be the leader. He needs to be the provider, the protector, and all those things. We're going to talk about some of those things in this message this morning. But if we're wondering, an easy, actually nothing easy about it, but a way to imagine what our function is in our families, what does God portray himself as? God portrays himself as a father. 
And so if we're wondering, what does a good father look like? What does a good father do? Well, hopefully, our concept of God is such that we can see, okay, this is the kind of God we serve. He loves us. He protects us. He provides for us. He guides us. He teaches us. All these things God does for his people, and these are things that a father is to do in his home. And so we are talking to and about a family pastor this morning. So every church needs a pastor, okay? And if a church does not have a pastor, you know what happens? The sheep sort wandering here and there, and they really don't know where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're supposed to be up to. Uh, And it isn't long generally until a church without a pastor doesn't last very long. And And this morning... A family is no less, are you with me this morning, you're listening? A family is no less than a little church. And a little church needs its own pastor. You might look at your Christian school, and you might say, well, I can do a bad job in my home because we've got a Christian school. And there are people there that are going to take up the slack. We can, we can look at the church and say, good, we got some good leaders in the church. We've got some good preachers in the church. We've got some good Sunday school teachers in the church. And so I don't have to really do a very good job because they're going to take up the slack. If we think that way, shame on us. That is not the case. That will never take the place of the man of the house. They can help, they can supplement, but they will never be able to replace the work that is to be done by the family pastor. Church is a group of people that needs nurture, they need direction, and they need protection. And so the little group, the little church that, that meets in your house needs their own pastor. And there's none so qualified and none so available and none so needed as the man of the house. He is the family pastor. You know, sometimes a woman is called to be the head of the house. And that is unfortunate. We have a situation in our church where the man of the house decided he had other ideas of life. He wanted to just move on, live a different life. She's left to raise her children. Sometimes dads leave this life. I'm sure there's a situation or two here that are like that. They leave abruptly and without warning. And they go on to glory. So if dad is absent, yes, maybe somebody else in the family might have to do that. But ideally, ideally this morning, it is the man of the house, the one who lives under the roof with his wife and his children. He needs to be on Sight. Okay? He needs to be on sight. He needs to be there. And you know what? Sometimes people have their priorities flipped. Okay? Um, God has given you a tremendous opportunity. He's given you a, a magnificent responsibility as the family pastor, as the leader of a home. And yet, it's easy for us to get our priorities askew and think that 
the only thing my family needs is cereal and milk. The only thing they need is a little bit of heat in the house. The only thing they need is the material things that I can provide through my employment and hopefully getting a paycheck. But I want to tell you this morning, those are the minimal things. Those are the smallest things. Those are the most insignificant things that a family needs. If there's all the other things, all the other elements are there, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a lot of food. Your house doesn't even have to be very warm. Ask my brother. He has a wood stove in his house, and he almost refuses to turn up the thermostat. He's got an old stone house, and there's about ten, a 10-foot radius around that wood stove. There's heat, okay? They all go off to their bedrooms and uh, <laughs> crawl under the cold covers, and thankfully there's lots of covers, you know? And if there's enough covers, eventually it warms up under there, and you can actually sleep. But, you know, you don't need a lot of heat, <laughs> Okay, you can live without that. And I guess in uh, you know, southern Virginia, you don't need as much heat as we do up there. But, uh, you know, those are the least of things people need. But people really need, and we'll get to some of these things as we go. I, I, I talk too long about different things. I know that. But, but as we go along here, we'll find that the most important things that a family needs are things that are related to relationship and their, not only relationship in the home, but also the relationship with God. Okay? It's about relationships. So let's move on here. Let's get to our scripture. Let's turn to Psalm 23 this morning. We're going to find out this morning what the family pastor does. We're going to look at several functions of the family pastor this morning. And of course, a shepherd or a pastor has sheep. And the sheep are the little flock around your table, your wife and your children. Now, I know this morning, don't, don't accuse me of bad biblical interpretation, okay? Don't accuse me of that, because I know these scriptures are talking about the Lord. I know that. But they apply very directly to a family pastor as well, okay? And so, we are going to look at these passages. Yes, they talk about the Lord, but they also apply very directly to a family pastor. Let's read Psalm 1, 1 to 3. We're going to stop about... Uh, four words into verse three, but it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. Now we're going to apply this to the family pastor this morning. It says here, because the Lord is my shepherd, or because this man, because this man is my shepherd, my pastor in my family, I shall not want. In other words, I am not lacking. I tell you, brothers and sisters, you can look at a group of children and you can see very quickly which ones have a family pastor who's doing his work and those that do not. We, uh, we have children's ministries in the city of Reading. And guess what a child does, particularly a boy, guess what he does when he has no male figure in his life? He's always scrambling to the top. He's always putting everybody else down. He's always acting out because he wants to be seen. He wants to be noticed. He is insecure. Amen. But I tell you what, if the family pastor is there and he's got a meaningful relationship with a man, he's secure. He doesn't have to get all the attention. He doesn't have to try to climb to the top of the pile because he feels secure. He's, he knows he's valuable. He knows he's special and precious. He knows that everything is okay. I'm content. 
it, everything's okay with me. Uh, the, the Lord is my shepherd. This man is my shepherd. I, ha- I shall not want. I am not lacking anything. My needs are met. I am fed. I'm watered. I'm happy. I'm content. And it talks here about green pastures and still waters. It is a place of pleasantness and peace. And we can apply that as well to spiritual nurture. Okay? Yeah, he has food in the refrigerator. There is water or a good drink for him to partake. But even more than that, he has spiritual nurture. And this whole setting here speaks of contentment. The needs are met. Home is a happy place. I want to tell you this morning, home is supposed to be a happy place. Have you ever walked into a house and you could feel tension as soon as you walked in there? Has that ever happened to you? There are places, I remember as a boy, we, we had neighbors, they were the Davis family, okay? They weren't, they weren't like you people, okay? They were very different. But as soon as you would walk in that house, it was almost within moments you would hear people yelling at each other. And my friends were there. We played with them. We, we went on bike rides together. We played basketball. We, you know, we did all kinds of things with these boys and this family. But as soon as you'd walk into their house, there was nothing but tension and stress. Not a place of contentment, I'll, I'll assure you. And uh, my family was a little bit that way as well. But that family was even worse, okay? You'll find it hard to believe this morning. But my, my parents, you never know it from me, but my parents used to fight like... You wouldn't believe, all right? And by God's grace, uh, God made me a different kind of person. I didn't go that way. But uh, home is to be a happy place. It's to be a place of security. It's to be a place where people feel safe. And when it's like that, the children in that family are happy to be at home. You know, I've observed many young people. I, I taught Fairview Christian School. I taught there for 26 years. And the last number of years I was there, I taught high schoolers. And my observation was, I I look at these young people, and it looks like they're always looking for a reason to go. Do you understand what I'm saying? They, they, They seem to look for reasons to leave home, to go out to be with their friends, to just search for something, just anything to get me away from home. And you know what? I, I don't think that's the way it should be. Our young people should grieve and moan and groan when there's a youth group activity. Do we have to go? We love it at home. You know, maybe not quite that bad, but you know, you know what I'm saying? They should enjoy home, and they go out, and they do what they're going to do, and they come home again. They're happy to be there. That's the way home ought to be. And so, anyway, make sure young people, at least let your parents know how much you appreciate home by moaning and groaning when it's time for a youth group activity, Okay. Oh, man, do we have to go? Okay, and then your parents will say, yes, you're a part of the youth group. You need to go. So, okay, all right. But uh, I shall not want. I'm content. I'm happy. Uh, the, The shepherd in that family has fed the sheep, and he has led them to the bread of life, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, where they have all of their needs supplied. He has faithfully fed them with the milk of the word of God. 
and the meat of the word of God, and they can grow by it. And it says here that he restores their souls. What that means is that he is a source of love. He's a source of acceptance. He's a source of belonging and stability, direction and encouragement. And the sheep under his care find him to be the greatest asset of their lives. Okay? Because he is their shepherd and he cares for their souls. Isaiah chapter 40, you don't have to turn to this, just read this verse, but it says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. And then Deuteronomy chapter 6, I do encourage you to turn to this. It's a scripture I think you probably know fairly well. But we're talking here in this part of the message about feeding. He feeds. The family pastor, the shepherd of the family is the one who feeds his little flock. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, And they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. We'll stop reading right there. But this scripture gives a clear definition to what the family pastor is like. All right, you ready? This is heavy, heavy stuff. First of all, he loves the Lord. First of all, he loves the Lord. He says, the writer here, Thou shalt love the Lord. And how are we to love the Lord? Family pastor, how are you to love the Lord? With all of your being. In fact, somebody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? What did he say? Did he say, you know, uh, you could put any commandment in there. He said, "This this is the first and most important commandment. That is that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. That is the first commandment. And so, this this morning, brothers and sisters, particularly brothers, is that you. Would your your family, uh, if if someone would say to your, your daughters and your sons and your wives, what is most important to this man? Would they all say, he loves God more than anything else? He loves God more than anyone else. The wives certainly should be able to say, my husband loves God more than he loves me. And that's okay. That's the way it needs to be. I am glad, and you should be glad too, if your spouse loves God more than they love you. Because that means they'll probably stick with you. (laughs) Okay, because before God, they have made commitments to be faithful to you. And before God, he has commanded them to be faithful to you. And so if my relationship with God is first, okay, God, because I love you, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to keep my commitments. I'm going to be faithful to my wife. God's got to be first. 
He has absolutely got to be first. We've got to love the Lord our God with all of our heart. He's not second. He's not third. He is first. God is the central focus of his life. And this is proven by his values. The things that he values are proven, show his love for God. Okay? Love for God has to do with what you do with this. Okay? What do you do with this? Does it sit on your shelf collecting dust? If you love God, you're going to love his word. You're going to love his book because this is his communication to you. You're going to spend time, listen to me, you are going to spend time every day of your life in this book. Did you hear me? If you don't spend time every day of your life in this book, it nearly proves that something else is more important to you. I know that's harsh, but your, your priorities are demonstrated by your behavior. And if your values are a love for God and a love for his word, you are going to make this a priority in your life. Now, I know life is busy. I know you people have a lot to do down here. I've, I've seen some of you going and doing, okay? But I tell you what, all of our going and doing needs to be around our relationship with God. Not instead of our relationship with God. Okay? We need to love God more and above everything else. All right? So what do you do with his word? Do your children ever, listen, do your children ever catch you reading your Bible? If they would have a survey in the Christian school here, where I think all of your children are going to school, they would have a survey here, and they would say, <clears throat> have you ever caught your father reading his Bible? I would trust this morning that every one of the children that go to this school would be able to say, yes, I have caught my father reading his Bible many, many, many times. And if they would take a survey and say, does your father read his Bible every day, that, that the students in this school would say, there is no question about it. Uh, except for maybe a very exceptional situation, my father reads his Bible every day. It should be that way. It really needs to be that way. Because that demonstrates that is your values. You value the things of God very highly. Okay? And so, first of all, we love the Lord. We love him with all of our hearts, and that love for him is proven by what we value. It's proven by our activities. What do we do? What do we do? I'll tell you what, I want to compliment you and commend you because most of you, I have seen here every service. I want to commend you. That, that proves because of your activity that when the church door is opened, you are bringing your family here. That proves by your activities that, that this is important to you. Okay? And if we're not... It proves those things are not important to us. If we have excuses, if we have reasons why, well, tonight it doesn't work out because it, well, sometimes it doesn't work out, okay? That's just the way it is. But if it's a petty excuse, I had a long day. I had, boy, and the, the people weren't very nice that I was dealing with today. And you know what? I'm, pretty, I'm feeling pretty tired this evening. And, you know, uh, I think we'll stay home. Okay? I just want to tell us tonight that sends a message. That sends a message to our children. 
And when we allow those kinds of things, maybe very moderately, our children grow up with the idea that, you know, it's all optional. It doesn't really matter. If we want to go, we go. If we don't want to go, we don't go. Is that what you really want to convey to them? Is that really the values you want to communicate? The things of God need to be important to us. The people of God need to be important to us. What are our priorities in life? Well, this man speaks lovingly and admiringly about God. Now I have a special opportunity. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you all don't have the same opportunities that I do. But I have the opportunity of going various places in life and even in, in our very own church, and I get to speak lovingly and admiringly about God all over the place. And so my children hear that. My wife hears that. I hear it myself. And so it helps me to have an admiring and loving relationship with God because I'm always talking about it. But you know what? Your children should hear you say loving and admiring things about God. They should, say, they should hear you saying, you know, God has been so good to us. God has, been such a, has blessed us so richly. I don't know why God has been so merciful and so gracious and so kind to us. I don't know, what, I don't know how we qualify to be, be so blessed. Children ever hear you say things like that? God has been so good. He's been so merciful and gracious. Children need to hear that from your lips. And so beyond loving God, yeah, we talked about this already, but he loves the word of God. He says, you, you shall love the Lord your God. And then, and these words, verse 6, which I command this shall be where? Where are the words of God to be? Oh, let's just leave them in the Bible. Let's just leave them here. Leave them the black and the red ink on the white paper. Let's just leave the Bible words here. No, it says that the words of God are to be in your heart. And I ask you, family pastors here this morning, are, are the words of God in your heart? I tell you, there's a difference. There is a difference between knowing and possessing, okay? There's a difference between having it here and having it down here. The word of God down here will be the basis of your life. Your life will flow from a heart that is full of God's truth. So if, you're, if the words are here, they've impacted you, and they have changed you, and you have completely modified your life to, to be in harmony with his word, it's where you live from. You live out of your heart, and your heart is full of God's truth. And the heart that is full of God's truth will lead you to live a life guided by truth, guided by his word. And so we need to have his word, not just in the Bible, not just external, but it needs to be internalized. It needs to become part of who we are. It's in his heart. It's at the center of his being, influencing every area and aspect of our life. And then what does he do? This, this is where I think we, you know, I, I love God. I'll be, I'll be honest with you this morning. I love God. I really do. I love his word. It's been greatly impacting to my life. But you know what? Many times where I fail is teaching. Many times that's where I fail. Teaching. It says that he is to teach diligently. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now, my brother, my brother's different than me. Uh, that's, how, that's how siblings are. They're not all the same. But uh, <clears throat> he had a little family. 
He took his job very seriously as being the family pastor, the family shepherd. He would sit his family down. He'd sit down, and his family was around him, and he would teach them out of the book of Leviticus. I mean, they went through the whole book of Leviticus together. Now, hey, what are you laughing about? What's wrong with you? I mean, God bless him. God bless him. I think he'd have done much better going through the, you know, the book of John or you know, something like that. But uh, he was diligent about it. He sat them down. He, they sat there around their daddy, and he sat there and taught, taught them the book of Leviticus. And while they were going through the book of Leviticus, they had a child. And guess what they named their child? Aaron, because he was the priest, okay? And so, but, uh, you know, that might sound a little funny, but I think we could all do a better job of being a little more diligent about teaching God's word to our families. He teaches diligently. He's concerned that his family be educated in the ways of God. And beyond that, he talks fluently and freely of God's word, okay? In other words, it is a language he understands. He can speak the language of faith. He can speak the language of God to his children, to his wife, to his family. And in that way, he teaches them as life goes on. As we are riding around in the, in the truck, we talk about the things of God. As we are sitting around the table after the day is, is winding down, we're eating our supper, we talk about the things of God. We talk about the things of God when there's problems arise. Well, what's God say about this? What's the solution? What about that person? Why do they behave the way they do? Apply the truth of God to that. People are going through some real struggles. Apply the truth of God to that. People are having a struggle with their faith because things aren't working out the way they want them to or they expect them to. Talk about the word of God about that. There's all kinds of things, all kinds of opportunities. Life just presents a myriad of opportunities to talk about the things of God because just about everything that happens in life has some relation to the word of God. In fact, God addressed practically everything we ever face in his word so we can certainly find truth that applies. God's principles for life, God's word is always relevant and available for discussion. And that is all about feeding. So does your family freely discuss the truth of God and how it applies to life? It really, really ought to be that way. All right, let's move on to point number two this morning. That is that he leads. The first point was he feeds. Second point is he leads. Now, I think it was last Sunday. I think it was exactly one week ago. I'm going through the book of Ephesians at Fairview, and we talked about the last half of Ephesians chapter 5. You all know that? You know what's uh, mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5, the last part of the chapter? It's all about husbands and wives. So I got to t- <laughs> we got to talk about husbands and wives the whole morning, and uh, we won't do that this morning. But part of the duty and the responsibility and the role that God gives to a man is that he is to lead. How many men are naturally uh, inclined to lead? Anybody like that here? Naturally inclined? Hey, I'm the leader, you know. They just naturally fall into that responsibility? I'll tell you what, to be honest with you, most men would rather 
sit back and relax. Put their feet up. Sit in the lazy boy. Okay, that's how, that's just, we're natured that way. You know, we went out there, we did what we had to do all day long, we worked hard, we got cold, we came in from the cold. Uh, the, the, most, the most natural, normal thing to do is just, ah, that's it. Yeah, just take care of everything. Just let it happen what will. You know, I'm not, oh, I'm just not interested right now in leading. You know? Just let it go. Let happen what will. That is the natural, that is the natural incl inclination of men. And so, because that's true, because that's true, God had to give a command and a directive to men to take their place. Okay, men, get up. Get up and get busy. You're the leader. Give direction. Lead. Even though we feel like just let, let, let things happen as they will. Just let somebody else do it. You know, even though we are appointed that job and that responsibility, we are not naturally inclined that way. And so, uh, Psalm 23.3, the last half of the, half of the verse. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Children and young people, even though it might not look this way, they, they want a leader. Children want a leader. Young people, they might balk at it. They might even resist the authority, but they want a leader. They want a leader. They want somebody who's actually able to say no. They want somebody who's actually able to think through the issues and explain why this is either a good idea or a bad idea. They want somebody who takes leadership and they feel secure even when dad says no. It gives him a feeling of security. Here is somebody who cares enough to say no, and they have enough authority to say no, and they say they might, they might resist that a little bit, but the truth is they feel secure in that. My son has a friend, and don't you do any research to find out who he is, but my son has a friend whose dad never says no. Never. In fact, it's not even necessary for the young man to ask or inform what he's doing. Hardly. The dad never says no. Dad, I need some new shoes. Can you go get them for me? Sure. The guy has probably about 15 or 20 pairs of sneakers. He's got, he's got the latest. I don't know how much his phone cost that he got, but it was like over $1,000. The phone for a, may I say this word in this church, for a stinking phone, a thousand bucks. His dad can't say no. And you know what? That's tragic. That young man, that's just going to end up being a disaster in his life. Young people, children, listen to me. You listening? If your dad has the guts to say no, you should thank him. Say, thanks, Dad. I appreciate that. Because that proves, first of all, he has authority, and second of all, it proves he cares enough to say no. And let me tell you something else. If he didn't care, if he really didn't care about you, he'd just let you do what you want. Okay? If he didn't care, he would let you do what you want. 
But since he cares, he says no. You should thank God for that. Even though sometimes it might not be to your pleasure. And so a leader must be brave. A leader must be bold. A leader must have vision. Do we have vision here this morning? Do we have, do we have something in mind? I want to see my family there. I want to see my family grow. I want to see my family useful in the kingdom of God. I have a vision for them. It's not just, well, we'll just wait and see what happens here. <laughs> just wait and see what happens. No, we should have a vision and a plan and a purpose, an ambition of what we want to see happening in our families. A leader must look ahead. A leader must move forward with confidence. How many of you have ever followed somebody and didn't, they didn't know where they were going? Never happened to you? Maybe you were the leader. Hey, everybody, I know how to get there. Just fall in behind me. I'll tell you. I'll show you. Zoom, zoom, zoom along the highway. Go this way. Go that way. Go the other way. Go into a parking lot. Turn around. Come back out again. Go the other way, you know. Everybody behind you, you got this train following you, you know. Well, they're, they're, they're starting to think. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to get there. This guy has no idea where he's going. <laughs> okay? How many families are following around the leader, and the leader doesn't really know where he's going? He just kind of, you know, whatever. Whatever happens, happens here. Uh, you know, what should we do? Well, I don't know. I, 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 um, don't ask me. I, I, you know, I don't know, what to, I don't know what we're doing. Well, <laughs> you know, that doesn't really help us get anywhere. And so a leader needs to know where he's going and be able to lead with confidence. And I want to tell you something else this morning, that a leader has authority, and this is important. Ah, everything I say is important, but this is a little more important. But a leader has authority vested in him by God. And so if you're a young person or a child here this morning, you need to look at your father, the man of the house, and you need to recognize that God has appointed him to be the leader in your family. And you need to say, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir, because he's got the authority, okay? And so, men, there should be new words in your children's vocabulary. They should be yes and the word sir, and they should be saying it regularly. <laughs> yes, sir, yes, sir. Actually, that's a little dictatorship maybe, but um, they need to recognize that he has the authority. Notice where does the shepherd lead? Where does the shepherd lead? He leads them. In all kinds of terrible places. Is that where? No, he leads them in the path of righteousness. Now, how can you possibly lead somebody in the path of righteousness? How can you do it? How can it be done? Well, first of all, if you're going to lead anybody any place, you've got to be there yourself. Okay? And so, if you're going to lead in the path of righteousness, you need to walk in the path of righteousness, and then others can follow you there. And so fathers here this morning, family pastors this morning, are you walking the path of righteousness? Is your life characterized by righteousness and obedience to God and holiness, and the decisions that you've made in life are those to the exclusion 
Are you listening to me? The exclusion of all evil and darkness. The decisions I've made have excluded all darkness from my life. I am a man who walks in truth, and I walk in righteousness, and I do what is right no matter what. I always choose right, even though it's very inconvenient, because it's the right thing to do. If we are walking the path of righteousness, we can lead others in the path of righteousness. But if we are dabbling in evil, if our life is involved in dark activities that are part of the kingdom of this world and Satan, how are you ever going to lead your family in the path of righteousness if you don't walk there yourself? And the truth is, I want to tell you something this morning, that if you're not walking the path of righteousness, it's very likely that your children are going to follow you into the darkness. Is it okay for me to say that here? Amen. They will follow you wherever you are. So you need to be sure that you are leading them in a path of righteousness. Let's go to John chapter 10. I know it's time for dinner. Oh, boy. Oh, these people are going to I'm going to lose them real quick now. They smell the crock pots in the basement. Okay, John chapter 10. In verse 1, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. We're talking about the family pastor, the family shepherd. To him the porter openeth, and, please note this, the sheep hear his voice. And he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them. And what do the sheep do? It says, and the sheep... Follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And so this speaks this morning of a tender relationship. The shepherd has obviously established and maintained a close and meaningful relationship with his sheep. His voice they know, they hear him, and they obey. A stranger's voice will be rejected because it does not match the voice of the shepherd. How many sheep would say, I haven't heard much from the shepherd. I haven't heard much from him lately. I don't really know his voice. Family pastor, family shepherd, your children need to hear your voice. They need to hear you talking to them. They need to hear you teaching them. And they need to know you love them. So may they hear your voice. Third point this morning, he loves. All right, he loves. Let's move on in this passage in John chapter 10, verse 11. Talking about Jesus, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf, the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. You, family pastor, are the good shepherd. And know my sheep, know your sheep and am known of mine. And so notice what the shepherd does for the sheep. You know, this is the point 
where the world fails in family life. They don't even want a family. They don't even want any sheep because they require sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. If you're a family man here this morning and you have sheep in your family, you have recognized they are costly. In fact, there are statistics. You can look up the statistics, and maybe, our, uh, maybe they don't quite match us, but how expensive it is to bring a child from birth to you know, leaving home at 18, or if they go to college, wow, whew, 22 years old. You know, it's costly. It requires sacrifice. And uh, if you haven't discovered that yet, maybe, maybe uh, you're not seeing things the way they really are. Uh, when, I was first, when I was first married, I'll, I'll give you a little story. But uh, I grew up, you're going to think my, my parents were bad people. There were times they were, but they weren't always bad people. But there was, there was times my father would just go away. And nobody knew where he went. My father was one that when he wanted to do something, he just went and did it. He wants to go hunting, puts a gun in the car, takes the dog, he's gone. He wants to go fishing, he puts a fishing equipment in the car, he goes away, and he's gone. Okay? That's the way that, and that's what I observed growing up. I said, you know what? A man, he's allowed to just do what he wants whenever he wants to do it and doesn't really answer to anybody for it. That's what I saw. And you know what? I, I, I got married. And we had a little child. Her name was Selena. She was just a little baby. And there were times that I wanted to go fishing. So what does a man do? He gets the fishing rods out. He puts them in the car. He puts the fishing tackle in the car. He, he goes and drives away. Bye. And there were times he goes hunting. He hey, put the rifle in the car. Just drive away. Bye. Have a good time with that little girl. You know? And uh, you know what? I'd be out there in the woods standing with a deer stand thing. Or over there by the brother Burke fishing. Hey, this is a great time. Oh, my wife's back home with the child. Yeah, you know? And you know, it started occurring to me that this wasn't really very fair or just. That I just get to do what I want, live my life the way I please, and my poor wife is back there with a little child. Well, then I started taking them along, and that's also very unhandy. <laughs> so we have all this equipment, all this equipment, all the baby equipment, all the fishing equipment, all down there by the lake. Getting muddy, messy, you know. The child starts crawling around in the mud, you know. And you know what? I finally concluded maybe we should just stay home, you know. So, uh, you know, it might require sacrifice. In fact, it does require sacrifice. There's things you're going to have to say no to. <laughs> I can't really do that. I'm the shepherd of this family, and they need me here. They don't need me way over there. They don't need me 10 miles away. They need me here in this home. So you make some sacrifices, you know, and it's not even hard. It's not even bad. Eventually, it ends up being a great blessing because that's what a family is. A family is a great blessing. In fact, the project of having a family, raising a family, and we have a couple of them that are gone now, but it's the most satisfying and the most fulfilling thing that you will ever put your life to because you have all these people that are around you that love you, and you love them, and you have a meaningful relationship with them, and... It's a very fulfilling program. It's a great project. And so, but it, it does require sacrifice. The good shepherd, he gives his life for the sheep. Verse 27, the same chapter. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. OK, 
okay, now, is that true of you? Do you know them? And it says, and they follow me. Do you know your sheep? You know, sometimes young people wonder, why do you have to be so nosy? Did your children ever get that idea? You know, why do you have to be so nosy? Well, what were you up to? Where were you? Well, I was, I was at Red Robin. Well, who were you with? Well, it was a bunch of guys from, from school. We were, you know, we were together. Well, what were you doing? Well, we were eating. <laughs> what were you talking about? Oh, we were encouraging each other in the Lord. We, we have an accountability program where they keep us all out of trouble. So we're encouraging each other in the Lord. Okay, praise God. That's a good thing. Okay? Um, but what if it wasn't a good thing? Well, where were you? Well, we were... Uh, they tell you what they're doing. Okay, what, what were you talking about? Well, they, some of the guys were like... Ah, you know, I wasn't comfortable with the conversation. Well, what did you do about it? Well, I, I actually, I got up and walked away because I really didn't like what they were talking about. God bless you, son. Good job. You did the right thing. Am I nosy? Of course not. And some of you are saying, of course you are. <laughs> but you know what? You ask questions because you care. You ask questions because you care. And a child who never receives an interrogation from a parent when they come home after being away with their friends, doing whatever, never get interrogated about it, that young person would probably have to think, do they really care? Do they really care what I was up to? That's part of knowing them. It's part of knowing your children to be able to communicate with them about what they're up to, what they're thinking, what they've been involved with, what's been on your phone. Always open for discussion. What's on your phone right now? Well, Dad, I'm texting my friends. Whatever. Okay, well, at least we know. It's always open for discussion. It's got to be. I know them, and so do you know your sheep. Knowing your sheep is love. That's loving them. One more thing this morning. Uh, it's not even morning anymore. It's this afternoon. You can't see the clock because none up here. But he protects them. Okay, he protects them. Last point this morning. He protects. Psalm 23, 4, verse 4. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's uh, somewhat descriptive of this world, by the way. It is the shadow of death out there. It says, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In a very real sense, your sheep depend on you for security. They need to know you will be there. They can contact you anytime. They can talk to you about any subject. They need to know you're there. This is a dangerous world we live in. Much harm is lurking. It used to be. Oh, it's so hard. I'm telling you. This has been the greatest frustration to our people that has ever come along. It used to be that you could guard the threshold of your house and you could say, that's not coming in here. It used to be it was a material barrier. That's not coming in here. But now, all you got to do is pull it out of your pocket. You can be in a closet. You can be in a bedroom. You can be in the bathroom. You can be anywhere, and there it is right there, and it's already in your house. Talk about a challenge. I tell you, that has caused our families more frustration than anything else that has ever come along by far. 
So how important is a relationship? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, like never before, we've got to have a relationship with our children. We have to have a relationship like never before because we have to be able to provide direction. We have to be able to provide accountability. We have to be able to ask them questions and they give us straight answers. We have to be able to know what they're up to, probably like never before. And so we've got to have a relationship. We've got to love those children. They've got to know that we are on their side to help them. Not against them. We are for them. And everything, listen to me, everything has got to be open for discussion. You've got to talk about morality with them. You've got to talk about moral failure with them. You've got to talk about pornography with them. You've got to talk to them about all the issues of life. You've got to talk to them about things that maybe in former generations we could just say that, you know, we're, we don't have to talk about those things. Probably you should have anyway. But you've got to communicate with your children. You've got to pastor them. You've got to shepherd them. It takes more, I would say it probably takes more effort now than it ever has. But we've got to rise to the challenge. He protects them. Are we offering the protection that our sheep need this morning? You need to stand guard at the door, and you've got to stand guard inside your house. You need to provide protective accountability for your sheep. What books are they reading? What music are they hearing? What people are they relating to? What are they doing on the computer? What are they doing on their cell phones? What influences are they under? They need the shepherd's protection, and we need to ask we need to ask frequent, many questions. Frequently, many questions. One last thing this morning. Shepherds, listen to me. You need to be humble. You need to be humble. If you are arrogant, your sheep will respond very badly to you. They will, they will it's, it's almost like God, okay? God resists the proud. Sheep resist the proud. If you're a proud, overbearing shepherd, they'll have a bad reaction to you. But if you're humble, if you're meek, if you're teachable, if they can teach you, and whenever you fail, which you will, listen, you will fail. I fail. When was the last time you apologized to your child for your failure? I have many opportunities to do that. Okay, I'm a man that's full of failure, so I get to say I'm sorry pretty often. But you know what, your children, you almost, it's so important. I, it is so important that you be able to apologize to your children that you almost should manufacture times that you fail so you can do it. <laughs> you almost ought, to, you ought to, almost ought to make it happen because they need to hear you say, son, I'm sorry. The way I responded in that situation was not the right response, and I want to do right, and that was not right. And you know what? Your child will think you're a little nobody when you do that. They'll really put you down. You just deflated yourself totally. Is that right? No, no it's not right. When you are man enough to own your mistakes, your children think, man, he is a great guy. He's a real man. He's able to own his behavior. Because you know what? Your children know when you're, when you're wrong. They know it. 
They know when you fly off the handle and you say things you shouldn't say. They know you are dead wrong. And if you never go back to make it right, you just turned them off, off totally. You just alienated them from yourself. That man is arrogant. That man is angry. That man, I cannot approach him. He cannot influence me because of the kind of person he is. I know I'm a straight talker. I know that. God has given me the gift of straight talking. But that's the way it is. So maybe you need to have a little meeting with your daughter. Say, daughter, there's been times I was wrong. I'm sorry. Times you have to sit down with with your little son. Say, son, you know what? The way I behaved last week or the other day or today or yesterday, whatever, that was not right. And I'm, I'm sorry. That will elevate you in their opinion like you'll never believe. That's part of protection. It's part of being a shepherd. It's part of doing our job. And so, what if your sheep, what if your sheep grew up to be just like you? Will you say, praise God, they grew up to be just like me? All right. Well, the truth is, they probably will. And so, what kind of a shepherd are you? Are you the kind of shepherd that if they turn out to be like you, you will just be delighted, happy that they are such a good, godly man, good, godly woman? We are going to give an invitation this morning. And the invitation is going to simply be the areas we talked about this morning. I think there were four areas, maybe five, at least five. If you have recognize this morning the Lord has said to you you know what there that area there you need to shape up you need to improve you need to do better and you recognize that this morning there's an area the Lord has shown to me maybe it's all of them and you know what these are areas I need to change I need to improve in I need to do something about by God's grace I will leave here today determined to do better in that area. If there's an area like that in your life, family shepherds, this morning that the Lord has pointed out to you, we're going to have you come up here, gathering in the front here, and we're going to have prayer together. Okay? So we're going to sing a song of invitation. And I shouldn't even say if, because uh, it's almost guaranteed the Lord has spoken something to you unless you are a perfect shepherd here this morning. So, all right, we're going to have a, a song. Do you have a song for us, brother? 225. 225. Family, pastors, come up as we sing. 225. And we will have prayer together, and then we will turn it back to Brother David for directions for the meal. Okay, let's sing. We'll sing verses 1 and 3. Men come as we sing, and we will pray together. Come to-